Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 7, Munoz versus Edgar at Bantamweight. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by Pat Mayo behind the scenes and Cody Saftik here in studio, unable to, to get the parlays cooking last Son week. of a bitch. I mean, JDS was looking all right. Uh, I He's looking all right until <laughs> Yair Zeno has this thing where it's just like he doesn't really do all that much, and then when he wants to turn the pressure up, it's what happened to Overeem yeah, at yeah, the end yeah, of round five. Yeah. It's when yeah. what happened against JDS when he realized he's down. He definitely lost round one. Round two, he started coming on, obviously, right in the middle there and put him away. I mean, that, that's the risk you play when you when you play heavyweight MMA. Anyway, we did get the main event right. My boy, Pichelle. Oh, baby, yeah. Yeah, that one yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly kind of how we wrote it up in here. So it wasn't... Well, you're the Vince Michelle whisperer, so that one I had lots of faith in. If but... only he would fight more than, like, once a year. If he fought I three could be times a year, here. he'd be on a yacht right now somewhere, pal. Yeah, but uh, he's fought in eight times in six years. So yep. you've made money on all eight times, so thankfully. Be- before we get into all the action here... I, you're enjoying this on the uh, the Pat Mayo Experience podcast feed, or you're watching on the DraftKings YouTube channel. We're going to be moving locations, but everything is going to more or less stay the same here. Pat, why don't you uh, let them know about uh, what we've got cooking up? Yeah, if you want to continue watching the Dogger Pass podcast, hit the description of this video or podcast, and you will find the link to the Mayo Media Network. That's where this show will start to appear sometime within like the next month, maybe in a few weeks. Whenever that might be, uh, you're going to want to be subscribed so you don't think that the show mysteriously disappeared Mm -hmm. like it did last time, although it didn't disappear. It's just people couldn't find it. I'm telling you right now, go subscribe to the Mayo Media Network YouTube page so you don't miss a Dogger Pass podcast. Also, in the coming weeks, uh, if you are an audio listener, the Dogger Pass podcast will be exiting the Pat Mayo Experience audio feed and going on to its own audio feed. So once we have that all set up, I will run another show on the Pat Mayo Experience to let everyone know this is where we're going. And everyone, if you see people out there who are like, what happened to the show? Um, Just tell them where they can find it. Uh, That's the best way to do this. Word of mouth. And get everyone over subscribed to the Mayo Media Network. All right, thanks. Two quick points. One, Pat's Pat's like the pod dad, like letting us leave the nest now. Uh, so we'll have our own podcast audio uh, feed there. But two, the week that we move over, like sub now, sub now. 
And because uh, of the week of it, when I hear, when I see a oh, hundred questions, where's the podcast? Why didn't the podcast go up? I'll know that you haven't been listening. <laughs> and I may not be in a hurry to wow. tell you where it's been going. So, yeah, sub now. It's in the description. No excuses. It's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. Nothing really changes from anything except for you're going to a different link location. I mean, you're clicking. It'll be the same. You click a link if you're if you're doing it on Twitter and all that stuff. Otherwise, you'll already be subbed, and everything should just work out. Why don't we talk about some fights? Yeah, okay. Sounds good. Pedro Munoz takes on Frankie Edgar, 135 pounds. Frankie, moving down, former lightweight king, down to 145. Even at 145, <laughs> you're kind of thinking, this guy Let's is not really a Let's featherweight. Go. He's probably a bantamweight. Finally moving down, really late in his career, though, to 135 pounds. I think a... Uh, this move would have been a lot better for him. Years ago, Munoz is a minus 255 favorite. Frankie Edgar can be had for plus 215. Any uh, immediate takeaways from this? Like, it's it's hard to trust Edgar coming in. Just you never seen him come in um, at this weight class. I expect him to make weight. I expect him to look fine. I don't think he's going to look like suck dry like, like Aldo. Aldo was already... At least a decent-sized featherweight. Like, Frankie looked small next to all. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, I think Frankie, you know, he's going to look leaner than we've, we're used to seeing him. When he was fighting at 155 pounds, the guy just didn't cut weight at all. He probably walked around at, like, 158, just didn't eat breakfast that morning, would show up and, when, uh, you know, retain his title. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's older. It gets harder cutting weight when you get older. I think if you like Edgar, you can't even consider a wager until you see him step on the scales. I don't actually like Edgar. I think Munoz has the uh, the dynamic uh, grappling. Munoz um, is able to take damage, punishment. He gets hit a lot, but Frankie, save only for knocking out Chad Mendez, hasn't exactly shown um, any sort of crazy knockout power. I think it's just uh, Frankie Edgar is a little bit too long in the tooth. Munoz younger on a tear. Minus 255 seems crazy when it's next to Frankie Edgar's name, but too many red flags around Frankie Edgar coming into this one for me. Munoz is the, is the pick. Haven't made a bet on it yet, though. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of the points for sure. I mean, seems like Frankie Edgar. It's just such an odd time in your career to be dropping down to 135 pounds, considering people have been talking about it for years. When they opened up 135 and 145, it was like, Frankie, go down. But he could compete at 155, so he did. Then when he went down to 145, it's like, man, you can't beat Jose Aldo. He's the champ at the time. Drop down to 135. But he says no. And then when Holloway becomes the champ, well, I'll fight Holloway then. That, that'll be my path to the title. But you can't beat Holloway. These guys are all just a little too big for him. I would love to see him at 135 again years ago. But now you get, he's 38. He's 39 in a few months. It's like you're getting him right at the tail end of his career. Known for his legendary chin. But now Brian Ortega's knocked him out. Now Korean Zombie's knocked him out. Both of them iced him in the first round. Both of them nice knockouts. One's got to wonder, yeah, yeah, is it is it taking on guys that are bigger than him that's the reason he's getting knocked out, or is it just a career worth of damage that's getting at him? <clears throat> but 135 just makes almost way too much sense for the guy. Consider this, right? Chang Sung Jung, what, 5 foot 10, I think? Max Holloway, 5 foot 11. Cub Swanson, 5 foot 8. Brian Ortega, 5 foot 11. Uh, yeah, Rodriguez, 5'11". Jeremy Stevens, 5'7". Jose Aldo, 5'9". Chad Mendez, 
five foot six. Uriah Faber, five foot six. Those are the only times that he's fought in guys that were his height. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, oh, geez, that was the time he got the knockout. Because Frankie shows up a little short on a lot of his punches, his combinations especially. He's got a fast jab. He's quick from the outside, bounces around, obviously. Uh, good, works out to the body, and then jumps out of the pocket. But again, he just doesn't really have a giant reach on him, and he's always the smaller man. The only two times he's fought in guys that were actually his size, which is the examples of Chad Mendes and Uriah Faber, he's looked phenomenally good. Problem is that Chad Mendes fight is five years ago. So yeah, he's going to look a lot better at 34 than he's at 39. One's got to wonder, does he have the power, all these different things. But listen, he's got a lot of skills here that he can use to his, his advantage coming in against Pedro Munoz. One, you talked about the dynamic grappling of Pedro. <clears throat> no question about it that uh, Pedro Munoz has a grappling advantage. But one, Frank Yeager never been submitted. No. Trains at an absolute elite camp with some of the best wrestlers and grapplers around. So he has that going for him. But also, does Pedro take down Frank Yeager? No. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't, absolutely. So now we've got a striking battle. Who's got the better hands? Frank Yeager by landslide. See, Pedro Munoz, not only is he five foot six, he has a 65-inch reach. Just absolutely abysmal in the reach department. T-Rex arms. All those guys I mentioned before him not only had the height advantages, the Max Holloways and the A. Rodriguez, they have like five, six, seven-inch reach advantages. So Frankie's used to having to fight on the outside, try to overcome these big reaches, get on the inside on these guys. Whereas at least with Pedro, he's going to hit this guy when he wants to hit this guy. And, and you said it best yourself, Pedro, very fucking hittable. Guy is absolutely there to be hit. Has he ever been knocked out? No. But has he been stunned? Absolutely. Cody Garbrandt had him massively stunned. And I would say to a lesser extent in his last fight with Aljamain Sterling, he looked hurt in the first round. Now, Aljamain Sterling's knocked out two guys in his entire career, right? He has not knocked out a man in six years since he knocked out Hugo Viana back in 2014. Not a power puncher. But he nails 174 significant strikes over a three-year period of time over Pedro Munoz. All I'm saying is if Frankie comes in with the same punch volume, which he's not. But if he comes in with good punch volume, he's got better punches, he's got more technical boxing, he is way faster than Pedro. Now that brings us to the other point with Pedro. Okay, who are the guys that have beaten Pedro? All of them have significant speed advantage over him. He struggles with the speed massively. Aljamain Sterling, well, he's just really fast, right? But he just, he could not get a hold of him. Sterling's landing three, four, five punches every time Pedro can close the distance and land one. So let's go a little bit before that. John Dodson. He could, just couldn't track John Dodson. John Dodson's in and out of the pocket. He's hitting him. Pedro's just off to a slow start. The Cody Garbrandt fight, thank God, no brain Garbrandt gets into a gunfight with him because he's so much faster than Pedro the first half of the round. Now, because he's got the 65-inch reach, he relies on his kicks, and his kicks are deadly. Leg kick, slow you down. Body kick, absolutely zap the energy of you. Frankie spends a lot of time with Marlon Marais, though, so yeah, he should be ready and, for and, that. And Frankie's best takedowns are actually coming off caught kicks, right? So even though it doesn't seem like you want to go to the ground with Pedro, Frankie has no problem going the front with the ground with Pedro. You don't want to be on the ground with Pedro on your back. And Aljamain tried to take down uh, Moon as a pile of times. He, he wanted to grapple with him as well, just wasn't able to. Frankie, better wrestler. Frankie closed that pocket a little bit better, a little bit stronger. It's just we don't know what we're getting at 39. So I think the best, the best thing you do is, yeah, way in aside, is that Frankie, fast start. Pedro Munoz, not exactly a Frank start. I think you go with the live bet option again. I think if you do want Pedro Munoz, 255, too big of a price tag. But five rounds, too much for Frankie. This is a three-round fight. I'm taking the dog. I'm taking Frank Yeager as a dog pick in a three-round fight because I think he could hustle him up for two rounds and maybe and lose And then take third. him down in round three, just don't get subbed. Yeah, but rounds four and five get sticky because, geez, you know, if he does get hit, and the longer you fight Pedro, by the way, Plus Pedro... it's the first time he's ever done this weight, cu- weight yeah. cut, so you don't know how he adjusts for... Coming off a knockout loss. Coming off a knockout loss. Did. First time cutting down to 135. And yeah, Pedro got, he got hit 174 times by Aljamain. He hit him 100 times back. You know, he landed some nice shots in Aljamain. 
Aljamain takes it? Does Frankie take it? I don't know. The leg kicks, they'll definitely play a part the longer the fight goes. So it's a five round that makes it greasy. I think 255 is just too big of a price tag on Pedro. So I think you let Frankie get his notorious fast start, you see how he looks, and then as the line starts to close up a little bit, you would look for Pedro in those later rounds just to try to get a better price tag. So last thing I want to add, knows I'm just throwing tons of information in here, but one thing I want to add on Pedro Munoz is one of the reasons he's such a like dark horse in the division is that uh, you don't really think about him as one of the top guys, but he just fights so often that he's just always in shape. He's always ready to go. The guy doesn't generally take layoffs. You look at his entire UFC career, fights a sunset, right? Three months later, fights Matt Hobar. Five months later, Jared Sanders. Uh, that's important. We'll get back to that. But the Russell Doan fight. Three months later, Scoggins. Six months later, Damian Stasiak. Five months later, Rob Font. Eight months later, the Dodson fight. Six months later, Bra- uh, Bra- uh, Brett Johns. Four months later, Brian Caraway. Four months later, Cody Garbrandt. And then three months later, Aljamain Sterling. He's always fighting. The only one layoff he's had in his career is when he beat Jared Sanders. He tested positive for steroids. He got a one-year ban. The fight after that was Jimmy Rivera, and he looked flat early. See, when you compete all the time, your timing's really good, right? It's live action. It's like, man, I fight three times a year. <clears throat> There's no ring rust. There's nothing to get around. Coming off that year-long layoff, you haven't competed the three times in the year that you're accustomed to. Your timing is going to be a little bit off. So I do see Frankie getting off to a quick start on him. And I think, if anything, he's going to have to get settled. Once he gets settled and he gets hit a few times and he wakes up, then he's going to come on. Then he's going to start pressuring Frankie. Then I'm really going to be worrying about Frankie in rounds three, four, and five and his durability and the cardio and the weight cut and all these different things. But early, I think Frankie has a lot of advantages. So I'm actually looking to kind of live bet this one or pass. We'll get to DK, 7200 bucks, Frankie Yeager, what the hell. But... <laughs> that's later on in the show. All right, we got Alonzo Menafield taking on Ovan St. Pru. Alonzo Menafield, minus 135 favorite. Ovan St. Pru, plus 115. The question with Alonzo Menafield was always, what happens if he doesn't get the ra- knockout in round one? Well, we saw it last time. Yeah, you did. And we saw it against Devin Clark, who, you know, chinny guy, undersized for the division. I mean, I was saying all the same Oh Yeah, same I say stuff. the same thing all the time, too. Yeah, I hear you. And Menafield cracked him. Landed like a monster, especially in yeah round one. Round like one. blew up his eye. Clark, credit to him, was able to survive. Menafield had nothing, nothing to to do in rounds two or three. Um, uh, maybe we can get uh, prop prop bet Pat on top of this one. If you had any inf- interest in Alonzo Menafield, just bet him round one. I don't know if the round one prop is, is out yet, but Alonzo Menafield by knockout would be the second option. Because might as well, why pay the minus on, on any sort of number? This guy is either a first round knockout in this spot or OSP is going to maintain, stay at distance, probably get cracked at least once or twice. And then, uh, and then obviously if OSP gets this fight to the mat, could he easily see a, a quick submission here. But uh, yeah, what's Menafield? By knockout, what's Minifield round one? Uh, by knockout, DQ or submission is plus 120. Might or as well. Yeah. Round one is plus 260. Those are the only two bets. That even makes sense to me. What is he by decision out of curiosity? Oh, you're crazy. Well, we'll get to that. By decision. I know OSP gases too, but you're crazy. This could be Minifield real sloppy, bro. Plus <laughs> After the first round. Okay. Plus 550. Okay. No, you're okay. sick. You're so, sick. But, so who do you have? So who do you have? I have OSP. I think OSP, if OSP gets the fight to the mat, like, I don't know. I just, I can't trust on just a knockout punch. Of course, it's in the, in the range of outcomes. It's very much could happen, but I just see more paths to victory with Ovan St. Pru, a guy who's 
went five rounds with John Jones. Yeah, fair. It was not okay, the best fair. John Jones. Don't get, it, don't, don't get me wrong. John Jones was coming off of his own layoff at the time. <laughs> um, he looked horrible, but he went five rounds with John Jones. You think he can not get knocked out in the first round against Alonzo Meadowfield? Very, very good chance that he can. Um, I actually like OSP to get the win here. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I think you can't discredit OSP. I think this is probably closer to a 50-50 fight. Truth be told, when the fight got announced, before there was a line on it, I was like, ooh, I'm going to fade OSP dog price on Menafield. And then I see Menafield as a slight favorite. It's like, mm, maybe you don't like it quite as much. But I'm kind of leaning, leaning towards Menafield. Okay, OSP has gone five rounds with John Jones once upon a time. Just like so much has changed for him since then. I just don't really know what he's got left in the tank at this point. <clears throat> he's got a tendency to gas massively. And that's going to play out well because Lonzo Menefield apparently has a tendency to gas out massively. So even if the fight gets beyond the first round, I would lean towards OSP because he's got the back class. He's got the experience. He's got all these different things. However, I, don't, I feel like Menefield is kind of a live dog in that spot. Um... Although he's coming in as a favorite, that's what makes you worry. But again, getting back to OSP. OSP, losing to Ilir Latifi, first round, right? Dominic Reyes fight. Beaten pillar to post. The point I most take away out of that fight, because, you know, it's Reyes. He's fighting for the title now. He gave Jones a good run. He's a top talent, right? It's just he allows himself to not throw any strikes. He stands there, and he allows his opponent to just get off quicker, right? That's kind of been the tendency in his career. He's kind of just like a slow start. He's a lackadaisical guy. Maybe he lands a strike. Maybe he ends up on top of you and Von proves you. But there's just not enough activity on the feet. That's why a guy like Jimmy Manuel will knock him out. That's why like a guy like uh, Michael, what's his, uh, Lomanianchuk? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Michael, sorry, right here. Alexichuk. Yeah, yeah, the prince. He 10-8s him in the first round. Absolutely beats the crap out of him. But OSP survives. OSP gets that second round. OSP, but this is the biggest thing. OSP is a top fighter at 205 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. He's getting a little bit older. He's starting to slide down the rankings. He's not as durable as he used to be. His cardio is not as good as he used to be. He's winning less fights than he's losing at this stage. And then inexplicably, he takes the Ben Rothwell fight at heavyweight. Now, that fight we was only... Rothwell there. Yeah, yes, yes. And thankfully, Rothwell won. Split. Total bullshit. Rothwell split. also he won. did nothing and then started turning it right. off. Right. So Rothwell does nothing, which is kind of how Rothwell fights these days. But OSP, thankfully, pattern here, does the same thing. He just throws even less. He knocks down Rothwell. That's the only reason the fight's considered competitive, is that knockdown. He would sit there for four and a half minutes and not do anything, and with 30 seconds left, land some big punch. He ends up losing the decision. He was outstruck by Ben Rothwell. He was taken down by Ben Rothwell. He gassed out quick by Ben Rothwell. But above all else, he, he weighed in. He's taking on a 265 pound Yes, and that's understandable. He's been gassing in other fights, but now he's taking on a big heavyweight, and Rothwell was leaning on him. Like, I, I totally get it. But he weighs in at 240 pounds, okay? So now, three months later... He needs to shed 34 pounds to get from probably what was his walk-around weight of 240 back down to 205. Now, consider this is a 37-year-old man who's been having trouble with weight cutting, who's been having trouble with gassing out later in fights, and he's taking on Alonzo Menafield. They both have the same problem with the gassing. He needs one round of cardio mm -hmm. against Alonzo Menafield, who's cooked Right, so, so now OSP's a pretty good striker, but Menafield, in his lone loss, the takeaway was he didn't get knocked out. I'll give you one thing. He fought to the end, and that, that was a big thing for Alonzo Menafield because I sit here many weeks, and I've sat in front of you, and I've told you exactly this. I like when these undefeated guys lose a fight. You got to lose a fight to figure out where did it go wrong. He's just smoking everybody out in the first round. There's no real need to learn. His sparring partners are going easy. He probably has gas in the gym. But as far as live action fight situation, Alonzo Menafield has been outside of the first round once 
in his entire career. Went to the second round and then knocked the guy in the second round. So him fighting Devin Clark, it's a big telltale of, is he going to win the first round and absolutely shit the bed? Yes, but yes, but no. He wins the first round. In the second round, uh, he got taken down once on 10 takedown attempts by Devin Clark. He fought his takedowns all the way to the end. Got taken down in the third, is so exhausted, and fights to get back up. He fights to the end. Now, he is not coming off a three-month layoff where he's got to drop out on this 36 pounds. He's coming off a two-month layoff from the Devin Clark fight. That Devin Clark fight builds much, cardio. How? It builds your cardio. Now he's been to the third round. Now he knows what he's made of. Now he's going to have that learning experience in the pocket. I know what is two months going to improve his cardio that much. It's more than that. It's the nerves. It's the now being able to be in the second round and be like, I can do this. Be in the third round. I can do this. Devin Clark didn't knock him out. Devin Clark didn't submit him. Devin Clark just worked him because he's a wrestler and he works people. One for 10 on takedowns in that fight. And he's a much better wrestler than OSP. Devin Clark's Smaller than wrestling OSP. isn't great. Junior college, but all the same, the guy wrestled collegiately. OSP played football collegiately, right? I mean, Devin Clark is a much better wrestler than OSP. OSP is just bigger. All I'm saying is that Menafield will come out here and give OSP a first round, and that's hard for OSP because OSP probably needs to have a good first round himself. In the second round, when they both start to tire, I know what you're saying. If you take Menafield, you take Menafield by knockout. If Menafield doesn't knock him out in the first round, and in the second round it gets sloppy, but Menafield edges it out, and in the third round OSP might beat him back. Who knows? Menafield picks up a decision. So I would rather just take the 135 than chase the plus money prop. I know 550 on decision sounds enticing, but this is going to be a sloppy fight. This is a sloppy card. 10 fights. It looks more like UFC contender series. It really does, right? I mean, there's a Pedro lot of... Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar's badass. Half of the people on the on this card have come directly from contender series. Menafield, Mike Rodriguez, Marcin Pracnio should be on there. Marina Agapova. Austin Hubbard, I believe, Shane Dobson well. is a Jordan tough veteran. Wright. The whole card. Yeah. So so it's, it's a real sloppy card, and most times this would be second or third fight on the card, and I'd say pass. It's fun. This is going to be fun. Menifield versus Alvin St. Bruce, sign me up. But as far as a betting standpoint, it's like, man, I think I got to cap it closer to 50-50, but Menifield's the favorite. But in my head, I feel like he's going to pull it out. I just, OSP's got to show something to redeem himself. He has not shown that. What he has shown is last fight, looks absolutely awful, doesn't let his hands go. Fight before that, he takes a life-changing beaten in the first mm-hmm. round by a guy who's not a 205er, by the way. Alexis Chuck's probably yeah. closer to a 185er. I feel like we're Nikita talking Krylov, a lot about a fight that we don't have Nikita any interest Krylov in betting. Blows, blows through him. Tyson Reyes blows through him. Ilya Latifi blows through him. What, what takeaway do we have? So I can't feel confident that I'll have to go Menafield here. So, Cody, yeah. what, what if uh, St. Prue like, misses weight and just comes in heavy? Like, What happens then at the weigh-ins? Yeah, if he misses by like five pounds, as an OSP better, I'd be happy because I'd be like, you know what? That means that he didn't push himself to try to cut that extra weight. If he comes in like five pounds, sure, but he's a he's a professional, yeah, and he'll, he'll make if it he as misses, close he's gonna to miss possible. Close, yeah. Yes, and because he already has a bas- bad gas tank, it'd be different if he was walking around at two twenty. 225, maybe 230. But when he realized, oh, I'm fighting Ben Rothwell, you know what he did? Go check out his Instagram. He decided, I gotta put on some bulk. You put on that bulk. Now you lose to Ben Rothwell. You realize, I'm not a heavyweight. I got to go back down. But it's similar to Frankie in the sense that, yeah, OSP already fought 205. But dropping that weight now, it's different the older you get. OSP's made 205 his entire career. You know, He was a big 205-er. He was a huge 205-er. But he always made 205. Going up to heavyweight is like the natural progression. right? He didn't come in at 220. He didn't come in at 230. He came in at 240. That's pretty sizable. That's a big heavyweight as far as I'm concerned. 
to now drop down to 205, that's a big task, man. And so I would have to have a better price than 115 if I was going to back them. And for that reason, it's either pass or mm, slight edge Menafield. Yeah, Mike Rodriguez taking on Marcin Pracnio. Mike Rodriguez minus 235 favorite. Pracnio can be had for plus 195. Who do you like? Who okay, do you like? So here's another bullshit fight that'll probably just ruin some type of parlay for you because Mike Rodriguez is definitely a better fighter. He is so much more technically sound. Guy keeps up his hands. He's super long, six foot four for the weight class. Great knees up the middle. <clears throat> wrestling defense that's obviously where it looks to be his issue the fights that he's lost in the ufc it's generally because his opponents are taking him down we'll get to his last fight where da Ung absolutely starched him but prior to that it's like he gets taken down lots but he's always getting back up he's always working his way back up 31 years old slow mike not bad he doesn't use his reach particularly well he seems to kind of get in the pocket and clinch up with guys a lot more than i'd like for a guy that's six foot four with that kind of reach on him but all the same, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to like with him as far as like a, a mid tier to like lower tier prospect goes. Then that Dong Young, that Dong, Dong Jung, Dong Jung fight. I don't even think that's how you pronounce it. But let me just bring it up. Um, then that fight, and it kind of changes everything because prior to that, Mike Rodriguez had, as I mentioned, dealt with a grappling problem. He had not dealt with a knockout problem. That was the first time he got knocked out. And boy, oh boy, did he get knocked out. One minute into the round, starched, short right hand, puts him down. It's like, okay, maybe he can take the greatest of punches. When he's fighting in the UFC, he had generally fought lower level of competition. Here's another guy that got outgrappled by Devin Clark, and he got outgrappled by John Allen. They just took him down a pile of times. Adam Milstead tried to stay in exchange with him. He got the win over Milstead. Daong Jung stands in front of him, and he sparks him. So at best, you can't really trust him. There's multiple paths to victory here. You can take him down, you can grind him, or maybe you just club him over the head and knock him out. Don't know if I'm sold on his chin, his grappling abilities. Again, just a mid-level prospect at best. Marcin Pracnio, he's way lower than that. But if he's got anything, is that he's going to at least come hard and just throw wild bombs. He just kind of charges forward. That's why we were on Sam Alvey. We, we kind of just saw it on tape. You just saw that Pracnio charges forward. And Sam Alvey waits for people to charge forward so he can land his, land his straight left. And, and it kind of just fell right into place. Yeah, and, and so with, uh, with Pracnio, that's his issue, is that he, he's a Kyukushin karate guy. And I've just always been under the assumption that karate, about evading, you know, the Stephen Thompsons of the world, the Leota Machitas of the world, the Gunnar Nelsons of the world. Kyukushin karate, different form of combat, right? That's actually what George St. Pierre specialized in when he was a kid. But... For watching like this tape of him competing at like the world's incubation, it's just literally stand in one spot and blast the guy to the body with straight punches. Like it's just wild man shit. And then in MMA, you watch his run in one FC, it's just wild man shit. He comes at you, he swings bombs. He's real easy to take down too. He's real easy to control on the ground. But when he gets up, he just swings bombs. Mm -hmm. Could Mike Rodriguez intercept him and knock him out? Yeah. Could he take him down and dominate him on the ground? Yeah. Could he just tire him out and beat him at the later stage of the fight? For sure. But could he also get cracked by one of those Pracnio shots? Absolutely. Yeah, minus 235. It's hard to trust. Because it's easy to write off Pracnio as, what a fool. He charges straight into the fire and gets smoked. But see, he's charging in on straight on guys that hold their ground. Sam Alvey, he's a ground holder. You move in on him, he's going to try to counter you with his left hand. Not only does he march in on, on Alvey, he marches down with his hands down twice. Gets caught twice, knocked out the second time. Now you give him Magomed and Kalayev. And this fight makes no sense because yeah, it's like he's got no chance here. No, he really doesn't. That wasn't fair. No, no. And Ankalaev is so much better than him. He's like, I'm not even going to take him down. I'll just batter him standing, which he does. Drops him with a head kick, which it looks like he blocks, but he's had enough. He folds over. It's a bad move. Interesting is that going into the Ankalaev fight, uh, he mentions, oh, 
the Polish media is saying, if I lose this fight, I'm going to get cut, and I feel so much pressure. And he was talking a lot about pressure. Loses that fight, and now has taken two years off. So should you bet him? Probably not. The move would be to take Mike Rodriguez. However, you don't know what he's been doing in that two years. You don't know if he's got his confidence back. And he's probably just going to go in there and chuck bombs. I got Rodriguez. I think this is an extremely dangerous play. And I think it's the type of thing you look at 235. He's one of the bigger favorites on the card. So if you were making parlays, and you're looking to put some of these safer guys, 235 is not a good price safe, segment. This it's card 50-50. doesn't feel like the place to be looking. Yeah, absolutely not. This represents a step down in competition from Ankalaev and Sam Alvey. So in that regard, maybe Prakniaw is slightly more into it, right? And then as far as the Da Jung Da Ong Jung fight goes, Rodriguez was the favorite there too. Not as big of a favorite, but he was the favorite there too. It's that, as I mentioned, Alvey stands his ground. Ankalaev stands his ground. Rodriguez backs right up. He backs right up. And when you're only going to run into so much space in the small apex that once he runs straight up and he's up against the cage and Prakneo bombs on him with a few shots, is he going to take him? Again, he only just been knocked out once, but it was his last fight. And it wasn't a tremendous blow that got him either. And he was all the way up. <clears throat> so, buyer beware, man. Again, very, very dangerous fight, I think. Oh, buyer beware. That leads us right into this next one. We got Maria Agapova taking on Shayna Dobson. Agapova is a minus twelve fifty favorite. Dobson can be had for plus eight hundred. Before we came on, Mayo was like, "Ah, oh, I think I'm gonna go with the big random women's underdog." Don't, don't which think, is which has worked for people which, in the which past. Works in but some I don't know about it. I'm not doing that. Yeah. You're I'm insane. I'm playing the plus seven. It was. I think it was. Shayna Dobson got was, finished no, in the first no, round by ketchup beating the worst fighter in the UFC. Year, Cody gave me like the lock of the century in this women's fight, and I forget who it was. I think it was on like one of the Scandinavian cards, and whoever the huge heavy favorite was is like she can't lose. The other the other girl is just a complete scrub, and then just yeah, this is this like, happens. One, yeah. one round in, it's like oh my god. This huge favorite sucks. I'll give Dodson this. Her one chance to win is like a knockout. It's a women's flyweight fight. How much power are you generating from one singular punch? I know, I agree. You need 120 I mean, significant shots. The girl shots is three and four. And kicks. She got finished in the first round by catch-up beating. She got 40 finished seconds. in 40 <laughs> seconds. Like, she got clubbed and pounded. She lost to Roxanne on a fairy decision machine. Roxy. Done very well, very very underrated, obviously, and this that was kind of the beginning of she like, had like Roxy. three fights against. That was like the beginning of fights. like Roxy's second uh, part of her career, I would yeah, say, where yeah, she's yeah. obviously at a different level than what she was before. Reinvigoration. Sure. Um, it's it, she needs to get a, a, a knockout. And Agapova looks fine. I mean, this is a massive step down in competition from her last fight against Hannah Cyphers. I think Hannah Cyphers absolutely works Shayna Dobson. It's minus 1250, though. I see, like, the under one and a half rounds and women's flying weight. I don't like betting those props. That's minus 160. Like, I guess Agapova probably gets a submission win here. Takes the fight to the ground. Takes it out of danger early for, you know, the one dangerous spot she could be is is, is striking with Dobson, I suppose. But, I mean, the the books have moved this price to unplayable. It's it's a pass at minus twelve fifty. Yeah, Shocker. yeah, yeah. Soft line opener eight fifty. <laughs> so yeah. it's like who even puts this fight together? I give credit to the UFC. We got a twenty three year old prospect who <clears throat> we should not move along at a quick rate. She needs to develop. People are excited about her. Maybe she 
could be something, but you don't just give this person a top contender. In many ways, many ways, Hannah Cyphers almost seems like on paper, like, damn, Hannah Cyphers has fought some good competition. Hannah Cyphers was looking good against Mackenzie Dern until she inexplicably decided to play the ground game with her. Yeah, yeah, she's a savvy veteran. She's strong. And Agapova just absolutely ran through her. When you see her on the contender series, that's her very green, mm -hmm. very shy. Her also training in Kazakhstan, and I don't think she had branched out at that point. Now she's just training is all together. She's got a good sponsors behind her. She's definitely developing. And yeah, I think the comparison from her last fight in the UFC is this looks like a young Joanny and Jacek. She just puts everything well together. There was a time where maybe you can exploit Better her. Grappling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then maybe that's why she's the next generation. Because again, she's only 23 years old, right? Joanne is in her mid-30s at this point, or getting getting to her near mid-30s. She's 33, 34? I think she's 34. Anyways, uh, imagine what this girl's going to look like when she's 30. She's going to look awesome, but you don't need to rush her there. So I give the UFC full credit for giving her an easy opponent. I, but I wonder, did they maybe give Shayna her... Shayna Dobson knows where the bodies are buried. Did they like, how does she have a contract, No, they're Cody. pissed off. They're she's 0-3 in the UFC. Her only win is against Why would you Ariel her... Beck, and that was because it was after the reality TV program. I get a thing. Then she has, like, two random, like... No, like versus like O and O fighters as her other two wins, like three and four, has gotten absolutely mollywopped by low level competition. Like, I mean, you could have brought in any other warm body, and I wouldn't be. I would just be like, oh, Agapova, big favorite in this spot. This one's kind of like, what does Shayna Dobson know about like Dana? She's got like pictures or something. I don't know. I, I would almost give it credit to yeah. She's, she's one and three in the UFC. She's lost her last three. The UFC gives out four fight deals, right? So she's come to the conclusion of a four fight deal, where she's lost the last three fights of the deal. No doubt about it. She was released from her promotional contract. Problem is, Maria Agapova goes out and puts on a nice little clinic over Hannah Cyphers, grabs the microphone and calls out Shayna Dobson. Don't know why. But oh, did she call her up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch the nah, post fight from her last fight. fight. So her last fight, she just, and she's like, oh, I was supposed to fight Shane Dobson. The fight got fell through. I want that fight. And, it, and, and I remember tweeting out, like, weak-ass call-out, man. Sweet performance. But, like, weak-ass call-out. Like, why would you want to fight Dobson? I think the UFC be like, is Dobson still under contract? It's like, no. So she'll take anything. Hey, we'll give you a one-fight deal. Come in here. If you come in, I don't know. If you lose, even if you do look good, you're on Here's a fourth 12 fight. grand. It's twelve grand, and you the Reebok deal entitles you another three. So uh, here's fifteen thousand dollars. If you can get some local sponsorships to help you out along the way, mm. good on you. But more than likely, you're making fifteen grand here, which um, you have a three and four record. I don't know if she wants to continue fighting. I, I don't know what her deal is, but it seems like it's a big stylistical matchup. We're talking about too much. What it comes down to is you're going to take her inside the distance, obviously, because you're not playing at twelve fifty straight up. You're taking her inside the distance and. Her last three wins show submission. And you mentioned it yourself. Probably just takes her down and submit her. I think TKO is totally on the table. Because she throws caution to the wind. Big heat. And whereas brawling Cachoeira just landed a nice shot on Dobson, I think that maybe Agapova, there's a path to victory with the TKO as well. If you can just go inside the distance, great. But her straight up inside the distance, it's still going to be minus 500, minus 600. If you take her first round, if your book offers first round prop, I think maybe you even look at the under 1.5. It was minus 160. I was looking at that. Because she really does put it on, right? She goes for it, balls to the walls. And if you're this up-and-coming prospect that everybody's talking about, you're the hot shit, and the UFC gives you a 3-4 and four opponent that you, called out. that you asked for, 
There's no fucking around. You can go in there and you can do what you got to do. And I feel like that's what she is going to do. Free square on DraftKings. Right. So I could not recommend you playing your 1250 Unless you're Pat. playing Dobson. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't play her on DraftKings. I probably would play the favorite on DraftKings. I'm just asking you. In the past, let's say, five years in the UFC, in these, like, one-sided women's fights, how often do you, like, if you would just bet anything plus 500 or higher as the underdog, would you be up or down? I think you'd be up. I think I and I I agree in most con- scenarios with your train of thought there. Like uh, plenty of these more green uh, women in the division are not worth like laying minus minus seven hundred minus eight hundred. There there's holes in their game, so like for sure. So those holes create value on the other side. It, I, I feel like you're like knockout or bust with Shayna Dobson. See, I find, I, I hear where Pat's coming from. I find, because I, I, fi- I play the fool all the time and I make these stupid bets, but you have somebody who you just assume is going to outstrike the opponent and has the striking advantage, but you're getting screwed more often when it's like, God damn, I didn't realize her grappling was that bad. They're getting submitted by armbars from guard. It's obviously notorious, but it's like they're just, they're giving up takedowns. They're getting grinded. Dobson, you have to take that off the table. Yeah, right? the armbar from guard. Armbar from guard's not, not going to happen. In fact, I don't know that she takes down. I don't know not that she on can that take Agapopa because of the height discrepancy. Once she tries to clinch up, she loves to clinch up. By the way, once she clinches up, she's just going to get bombed by knees. If she does happen to get on top of the takedown, Agapopa is just better submission threat. You know, I I feel like the only path for Dobson is just clubber with a big old shot over the top. But in Agapopa, it's like she's lost just the one time to. Tracy Cortez, who's just a better, a good wrestler, wrestler and stronger and more mature and older. And like that one is like, okay, I see the path to victory. With Dobson's like, I just need to club her. Well, no one's done that. No one's really come close to doing that. I don't know that that's really a, a great path. Does she? Is that her only path though? Feels uh, like it. In the, in the less. She takes her down, which it's possible that she ends up on top. And for whatever reason, she just holds her down and Agapova does not do anything. I just, I don't see it. I really don't. I don't. Dobson's strong. She's physical. She's a she's a willing opponent, but she's just a warm body here, right? We can't mince words. It is what it is, and she's there to put a little shine in Agapova. How good is Agapova? Well, that's that's your choice to make. But how many people's how many people blew through Hannah Cyphers and looked that good? Oh, geez, I guess not that many. Tracy Cortez, well, that's a credible loss, and she's won three fights since then, and she's looked good in those three fights, and she's fought decent competition. And Alexa Connors, Marilla Santos, those are good girls that she beat in the fall after that. Twenty three. Training at a better facility now. Seems like things are going in the positive direction that Dobson ain't springing no upset. Uh, But because it's 1250, you run into Sean O'Malley syndrome or you just break your own fucking ankle. Uh, You you can't discredit Vera. We talked about he was a a game opponent and all that. But but let's just be real here. It could happen to anybody at any time. You could just break your ankle. O'Malley's weak ankles is definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah, for Happened sure. Happened in the Sukuman Tath fight. I Same don't thing. know that you can comfortably bet him in a lot of spots, considering so. he's done it twice. Yeah, once. I mean, he shit almost. Uh, it seems like he just has to stop throwing leg kicks because his feet are too. His feet are too uh, yeah. fragile. But that's how twelve fifties lose, right? Yeah, is shit like that. banana peel. Yeah, pricing. banana peel pricing. You slept on a banana peel and you knocked yourself out. Quick props, Agapova by knockout is plus 120, Agapova by decision plus 155, or so you Dawson bet inside the distance, 14 to 1. Okay, so just bear with me on this. I don't like this. any of them. Bear with me on this. Bear with I'm me on this. staying away from this fight. Bear with me on this. If you were to put $100 on Agapova by submission and $100 on Agapova by knockout, they're both plus money? Or do you think she wins a decision? 
I don't. You're just passing. That's fine. I'm saying you get plus money on both those props. I would, I would, I would do the submission. Bet. What was the submission price? Uh, the submission was plus one fifty-five. I do that. Rather and I had the knock. And I had. And I like the knockout prop, and you like the submission prop. But they're both plus money. Is what I'm saying. So I, you, and I like a fourteen to one winner. So <laughs> I have enough. the best one. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think we can move on. Um, so yeah, let's move on. We've got Daniel Rodriguez taking on Takashi Sato. Rodriguez can be had for minus 185, Sato plus 160. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, Rodriguez quickly developed into my boy. Like, it's not that he's doing anything spectacular. It's that he's kind of got skills everywhere. I mean, he gets himself into trouble, but again, relying on those skills, he's able to get himself out of trouble. I can't really fault him for anything. Coming into the UFC, he had fought soft competition. I think that's the knock on him. And it's, well, how is he going to do when he fights better guys? And he's also billed as just a grappler. He's a 10th plan jiu-jitsu. Got some submission wins on his record. He's a little bit older. Uh, let's see how he does against Tim Means in the UFC. And we sat here and we said, geez, you know, Tim Means, one of those guys, untrustworthy, fine, has blown some fights. In the first round, he hits Rodriguez with some nice shots. He puts it on Rodriguez, so to speak. Rodriguez got a good chin. Never been knocked out. Takes the shots. Sticks with it. And at the end of the first round, absolutely nuclear bombs tim means pretty much knocks him out fights allowed to continue but tim means ain't the same man in that second round and then rodriguez capitalizes Mm -hmm. that's a nice little win here because up until this point we didn't really know about his technical boxing we didn't know about his striking we knew he's a grappler his wrestling's not great so what's he going to do when he can't get the fight to the ground turns out he can strike a little bit the follow-up performance against gabe green I mean, listen, it was sloppy. It really was. It looked like he was tired in spots. It looked like he just has an unwillingness to even try to get the fight to the ground, which I didn't like. I mean, your best key is your jiu-jitsu. It's like, at least get the guy to the ground and, you know, neutralize him. But instead, he just allowed himself to get into this war. But the numbers come out afterwards, and it's like 175 significant strikes landed on Gabe Green, plus a takedown. God damn, turns out Gabe Green could just take a hell of a punch. But again, he threw. He threw. And when the momentum in the round started to shift, he'd always fight his way back into it. It's like he was able to make adjustments. Takashi Sato, he seems way more one-dimensional. He is just a bruiser. He is capable of knocking you out. He has big power. But if you look at the guys he's fought in the UFC, guys that maybe have wilted a little bit, so to speak. Jason Witt, he's taking the fun of short notice. He's a 155-pounder. Ben Saunders, you can't tell me Ben Saunders has a good ability to take a punch. Uh, as far as his Japanese regional scene goes, you know, a lot of softer competition. How is he going to fare in the UFC against better level guys if he's just a one-dimensional power puncher? And that's where I, I don't mind Green. I think Green has multiple advantages. He's going to throw more than Sato. He's cleaner with his boxing than Sato. And he does have a good ground game. The advantage with the ground game over Sato. Sato's just got to rely on clipping it, landing that big shot clean. And he allowed Gabe Green just to do whatever he wanted. Just He allowed him to have that firefight. Gabe Green lands some shots. Rodriguez took him. Rodriguez is game. I think Rodriguez takes what Sato gives and gives it back two to three, at the, you know, at a clip of two to three to his significant strikes, just outpoints him. And if he does eventually hurt him, tire him out, maybe just get him to the ground, I think submission's a path to victory as well. So I got Rodriguez, minus 185. This is another mid-tier fight, right? Two guys outside of the top 20 maybe outside of the top 25 on a mid-level card. Is there a ton of confidence in it? No. But at 185, I think Rodriguez is some of the better value on this card. Mizuke Inoue takes on Amanda Lamas. Minus 140. Inoue, Lamas, plus 120. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, this could easily be a big trap for old Cody because I have, like, this secret love affection with Mizuki Inoue. I mean, this is my girl. What does this girl do wrong? Maybe not the most physical one going out there, but... 
She just got infinite cardio and a good grappling game and a willingness to exchange. And she's already fought a lot of top competition. Now making her UFC debut, it seems like, why was she not in the UFC already? Maybe it's because of the size. I, I, I don't know. But she's only 26 years old. She's making improvements all the time. You look at her record. I mean, it's kind of a who's who for a, for a young prospect. Coming back to, let's even just say since the get-go, right? UFC veterans Alex Chambers. Oh, yeah, by the way, she turned pro at 16. She made her professional debut in Japan at 16. She beat Alex Chambers when she was 18 years old. She beat Beck Rawlings when she was 20 years old. And then she lost a split decision to Karolina Kovalkiewicz six years ago, okay? Follows that up by losing to Alexa Grosso. These are all girls that went on to the UFC and went on to fight at a high level in the UFC, right? Ayaka Hamasaki in grappling matches. Uh, Lynn Alvarez went over. Verna oh, Janadroba. Verna Janadroba. This is 2018. It's two years ago. She loses a split decision and a five-rounder. And I mean, good fight, man. And Verna takes her down. And Mizuki Inoue just, is, mm-hmm. she's a great grappler. And she survives. And she's able to reverse position. And she makes Verna work. And her striking's on point. And good fight. And now you see how good Verna is in the UFC. Wow. Just lost her spars up. That's no big deal. Runs through Felice Harrigan this past weekend. This is a good prospect. This is someone who can grapple leagues above everybody, the but one, not in a way. And it's a five round. The one thing that Lamas brings to the table, though, and what you were concerned about is that strength, though. Yes, yeah. And following that up, Vivian Pereira, once a time, a UFC contender of sorts. And then Yan Wu. Woo! Woo! That's her UFC debut. I didn't think she looked great in that UFC debut, but I just wonder if maybe she's got some kinks to work out. She needs to get her footing. And yeah, yeah, I agree. The, the, the physicality is something that's always going to worry me. But you have someone who's the 26-year-old prospect who's fought a lot of good fighters, strong fighters, adequate grapplers, w- given up size in the past, and always given a good account of herself. Versus somebody in Amanda Lemos, 33, not an up-and-coming prospect as well, just someone who's, someone who's hanging around, has eight pro fights despite being 33, and then in the UFC is just one and one lost to Leslie Smith, got smoked out by Leslie Smith, who's infinitely... Bigger than Mizuki Inoue. I mean, my God, Leslie Smith fights at 145 sometimes. And uh, that, that fight was at 135. The Melissa Granger fight is at 116. She drops two weight classes and looks way better. She has that strength. She has that physicality. But I, but I just feel like the better fighter should win. Inoue is the better fighter. Physic, one simple thing, just being too strong, shouldn't win the wave. And I see 145, or one minus 140, and I'm so tempted. And I want to jump on Inoue. But I see this one as a potential red flag of sorts in that... She didn't look great in her UFC debut. I got to watch some more tape on, on Lemos just to see, like, what, what's the plan B for her? Like, what's the best, best path to exploit? And as far as that, uh, yeah, I, I can't make, like, the joke of Japanese fighters haven't had great success in the UFC outside of Sato, I suppose, who won his last fight. But physicality is kind of something that they deal with. And they've got way better technique, superior technique, but a big, strong Brazilian bruiser might be able to have the way. Lemos kind of does fit that description. But I, you got to assume the the better athlete, the superior skill set should win. It should win eight out of ten times, nine out of ten times. Minus one forty, getting very tempting. I would like to pass on this, but it's a ten fight card. We've talked about Menefield OSP. The fuck? Yeah, we don't have many. Bets. Rodriguez, Rodriguez versus Marcin Pracnia. Well, I look at this board this week. You can't and bet twelve fifty like, on Agapova. I don't really love Rodriguez many bets Sato. On it's like they're gonna bang it out there, man. Inoue Lemos, it's like, could be a potential red flag. And and we're going to talk about the other red flags after this one. Hmm. But it's a tough card, man. It definitely is a tough card. I, I got a question. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's say Agapova like breaks her ankle midway through <laughs> round one, and she can't continue. And I bet fight doesn't go to the distance. Do I win? Yes. 
Like, does she actually get a loss for that, or is it like a no? She broke her ankle, and she would lose by injury. Yeah, if you break your ankle, you lose by injury. The only way that you could get an Unless, out, the only way yeah, you could get like an, an out of it, or something. Yeah, and or it there's was a no contest. There's a head clash, but even then, if it's a no contest, I think you get a push if it's a no contest. But yeah, it would be a push. You but lose. if it happens midway through the second round, you could argue to your bookie, at least depending on what the bookies, because listen, a lot of bookies have different rules on it. But you could argue the fight didn't physically complete three rounds. A lot of them, it's in the wording. Fight to complete three rounds and fight goes the distance are two different things, man. Mm-hmm. Two different things. So technical decision. Well, because one only completes three rounds and one actually goes to decision. But I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. There's Yeah, same thing with technical decisions. And yeah, there's just all types of issues that you could potentially run into. But traditionally, a no contest is you'll just get a push on it. Joe Selecki takes on Austin Hubbard. Selecki, minus 145. Hubbard, plus 130. I mean, Hubbard made me look like a fool last time out. Who can forget? You made up for it with that shoey, but he made you drink that shoey, pal. He you should made, never forget he that. He made me have that uh, that that dirty, dirty shoey, and I deserved it. Um, I mean, Joe Selecki's going to try to do what Max Roshkoff was trying to do before Max Roshkoff quit, which is try to... Try to get these takedowns and uh, and use superior top control and grappling control, but and Selecki looked fine on Contender Series. Hubbard training out of that facility right now, like I don't, I'm not, I'm in no rush to fade him. After I saw, you know, he was able to stay out of trouble against a superior, at least collegiate wrestler. Um, don't mention your words. You said he was the best guy of all time, and this guy just beat the best guy of all time. Your He's words. the goat now. You actually have to bet Hubbard down. He's the goat. I may. This this is like the one. This is like the first spot on the card that I feel a little bit better about. I mean, I thought he looked fine. He was he was able to defend the takedowns, and then he was able to. And he really was able to ramp it up. He's got good cardio. Selecki has good cardio as well, from what we have seen. I think it's pretty fifty fifty. Um, I prefer where Austin Hubbard has been spending his time training with with you know the likes of Gaethje he's at uh yeah elevation elevation I, I'll just go with the better camp at plus 130 if if you force me to I haven't obviously bet it yet but I'll wait to hear what you have to say about it yeah I mean talking about Corey or uh, Curtis Blades is a heavyweight not getting rounds with him in. and Corey Sanhagen maybe he's a bad anyway you're not gonna get rounds him in I'll tell you something you put here this sandal in a room at Elevation with Gaethje and Drew Dober, both at 155. That sandal's going to get infinitely better. <laughs> Austin Hubbard is just the body in the room, man. And as a result, the kid has made a lot of improvements. His whole career has basically just been tough it out, you know? Take that early beating, tough it out. It's not just the fight with Max Rochkoff. That's kind of how he fights. But that has just been playing key for him because even though he didn't win the fight with Marco Madsen, you saw the wheels in motion in that fight. He gets taken down eight times in 12 attempts. So on one hand, you stuffed out four takedowns from an Olympian. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, eight takedowns. Mark Madsen, people were raving about this guy's athletic ability, his strength. Oh, my God. Wait until you see this guy. An absolute specimen. This Comes is partially in. true. Yeah, which is partially true. But Austin Hubbard, yeah, Austin Hubbard made him look human because mm-hmm. he's getting beauty takedowns. But, geez, Hubbard just keeps getting back up. Just keeps getting back up. Holy crap. Max Rochkoff, he's getting taken down. But he keeps getting back up. He's scrambling the whole time. And then you got to think, Jesus Christ, this kid hasn't had an easy run. Because rounds in the gym aside, he fights Davi Ramos as his UFC debut. Lo- loses. 
and lives to tell the tale. Davia Ramos, by the way, has only ever won two fights by decision because he usually puts you out if he's mm-hmm. going to beat you. It's a, it's a feather in the cap, a losing effort, but a feather in the cap. Beats Kyle Prepolik, learning experience, loses to Marco Madsen, but a second feather in the cap. Kid looked good, scrambled, made him work the whole time. Marco Madsen, they said this guy never got tired. They put him on the Aerodyne, and he's got the mask on, and they limit the oxygen, and it's like, wow, the guy keeps going, and he just wrestles for days. And Austin Hubbard is the fresher fighter in that fight. Yep. Now you look at Max Rochkoff. Geez, the guy wrestled collegiately. He's a BJJ black belt. Robert Drysdale is his head coach. He was living with Robert Follis leading up to Robert Follis' death, actually. This kid has been like a prized prospect for a few years. People really like him. Bought into the hype a little bit too much. But, it, but it's, it's not even, he doesn't look, Austin Hubbard doesn't look good in the first round. He really doesn't. Doesn't let his hands go. The first half of the second round, he's really not letting his hands go. When you look at his fights, he, he kind of, that's one knock on him. Doesn't throw a ton of volume. The Kyle Prepolik fights the same thing. He chews up his leg with the leg kicks. Doesn't really let his hands go a ton. But when he decides to unmax, everything's landing. Mm-hmm. And then you see, geez, you know what? He, he mixes it up. He's throwing two-punch combos, three-punch combos. He's throwing the hooks. He's throwing them from different angles. Overhand, clean from a, you know, kind of like a shuffle uppercut, so to speak. It's like he just puts it on him. He doesn't get tired. He just keeps coming. So I see Joe Selecki, and I think, Jesus, you know what? Selecki's got the same path that Marco Madsen successfully was able to use and that Max Roshkoff wasn't able to use. And that's take this guy down. When you take him down, he's going to get back up. He's getting mm-hmm. up against those guys. He's going to get up against Selecki. Take Selecki's. him back down again and again. Right, and that becomes a problem because Marco Madsen is a freak athlete that wrestled in the Olympics, and Max Roshkoff is a former... He, he is a D1 All-American. I know he said he quit on some D1 tournament. Anyways, he had won like the ACA or something for... Uh, the greatest, Max Roshkoff. Yeah, Northern Carolina. Anyways, the, guy, the guys wrestled collegiately. Hey, I'm a recovering truther, okay? And in, <laughs> he's a black belt. Madsen's able to get, or uh, Austin Hubbard's able to get away from the submissions. Davi Ramos is a black belt. Austin Hubbard gets away from the submissions. Joe Selecki's a black belt, but not as good as a black belt. And you know the difference between Roshkoff and Madsen, who were both high-level wrestlers? Joe Selecki never wrestled. Mm-hmm. Just a guy that's been doing martial arts since he's six, jiu-jitsu, learned how to wrestle a little bit. So then you look at his fights, right? He's on the Contender Series, and then he's got one fight in the UFC. And uh, it's not, not one time does he take you down on like a clean takedown. It's a caught kick. Mm-hmm. He catches a kick and takes you down. Turns out Austin Hubbard barely even barely throws, throws kicks. kicks. Barely throws kicks. And even if you do take him down, he, he just kind of gets back up. So Selecki's going to have to stand and strike with this guy. And even though his striking is improving, it's loopy and it's wild. And he's not there to exchange for five minutes per round. And eventually he's going to start to get taxed. He's going to start to get tired. And that's going to be his undoing. His fight with James Wallace on, on the Contender Series, quick guillotine. So tight, looks good, first round. His fight with Matt Wyman. Now, taking consideration, this is the ghost of Matt Wyman. This mm-hmm. is Matt Wyman. What the hell happened we to Matt Wyman? We all thought Wyman? he was already dead. Right. And it's a decision, right? Uh, crazy that Matt Wyman was able to survive. But there's a moment midway through the second round where they both stand up, and Selecki is spent. He's done. And I think, holy shit, Matt Wyman's got a shot. And Matt Wyman's even more spent. That was a good matchup for him because Matt Wyman had nothing to show. Now, when that happens in this fight, and he, again, why not look to bet Hubbard live after the first round? I think I'm going to bet him beforehand, too. He's the underdog. I'm going to bet him as soon as we get off. Yeah, as soon as yeah. we, Pat's probably is already that, betting them. Is that I see Selecki probably getting some takedowns early in the first round, but he's going to have to work for all of them. And working for takedowns just zaps your cardio and This instantly. guy training in Denver with Gaethje and Dober. Those just guys are just that. looking better and better. Yeah. Cardio is not, I mean, I guess you can say Curtis Blades heavyweight. 
Round, his cardio round, sick. Round five oh, against Volkov. He was sick. He was tired. He was tired coming He's off of a COVID break. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I'm saying that's like the one scenario that you're like, a guy from this gym doesn't have like, you know, doesn't have the cardio to hold up. Do you think it's hovered by decision? Probably. Uh, okay, he, okay, he okay. He has okay, been okay, able okay. to finish guys. Pat, Pat. Patrick, my man, thank you for bringing that excellent point up. So, yeah, one would assume Hubbard, because he just doesn't throw enough, he takes them deeper waters. You look at Hubbard's record as well, riddled with decisions. Yes, he knocks out your boy, riddled with decisions. Easy to assume. Uh, he didn't even knock out my Easy boy. To my, assume. my boy quit. Yeah, no, yeah, there, no there that's is, true. No, there is a chance that in that last fight, just to screw Paul, it enfolded like that Mankind rock match, the I Quit match from the Royal Rumble, where they had the pre-taped of Mankind saying, I quit. So mm-hmm. Maybe it didn't even really happen, Paul, is all I'm saying. That, that that'll here. help me sleep at night. Right. So so you did a little digging for us all because you can't find the fight. I wish you could, but you just can't find the fight. Prior to Contender Series, right? The James Walls. Joe Selecki does an interview, right? Joe Selecki says, you know what? Going into this Contender it, it's actually after he beats James Walls. He says, oh, I didn't think I should have been there. I didn't think I was ready for Contender Series. And I didn't think I'm ready for the UFC. And uh, I didn't think my performance is that good. And I just, I don't feel ready. Like... I'm only seven and two, he says. I'm only seven and two. His words. I'm only seven and two. I just got knocked out a few fights back. So I look into that fight. Nicholas Mata was on Ultimate Fighter. Not very notable. He's uh, done okay since then. And by all accounts, Selecki's up two rounds and gets knocked out mm-hmm. minute eight into the third round. He gets tired. He gets hittable. He makes a mistake. So be careful he gets capitalized. about the so, so I'm thinking along pounce lines. I kind of got Hubbard by decision as well. Do you know what? Hubbard is going to take him into deep waters, and he is going to tune off on him. And then it's whether Selecki's able to get reaction takedowns to slow down the pace, and he's able to grit out a tough third round. But I think you're going to be biting your nails if you got Hubbard by decision. Whereas if you just take Hubbard straight up by plus 120, probably have a, a better feel about it. Yeah, it's not the it's not all that big of a discrepancy. Like, you can bet... Uh, Hubbard to win at plus 130. Like the inside the distance is only plus 185. If you took uh, Hubbard's 130, by yeah. TKO or submission, it's like seven to one. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a decision machine. Usually the props are going to fall that way with a guy with, with Austin Hubbard. The only, yeah, he only gets finishes when, you know, future, you, future title contenders that I mushed the yeah, shit out yeah, of ended up yeah. quitting. Yeah. Um, let's just move on. I think we all, we like Hubbard here. We're not sure about the decision or the TKO. I, f- I feel like we're leaning towards the decision, but. Right. I just. I mean, if Selecki, I, I imagine Selecki from that one loss that he was talking about earlier on in his career. I'm Learned. sure he's put in yes, extra sir. time to be able to go three rounds at this point. All right. Are you ready for Ike Villanueva Chalk Week on DraftKings this uh, week? I got a line on this, by the way. Oh, oh did a line. you? I had uh, N.A. NA hit a refresh. What is this line? So it's Ike Villanueva taking on Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja. Okay, I don't have a line. Yeah, I was going to say. I I thought he was fighting Jorge Gonzalez. No. No. Which is a very close line. I was going to bet Gonzalez in that spot. So maybe we got lucky by if he was injured or something being pulled out. Maybe I I uh, avoided a little bit of a trap there. Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja, 10-0 on his record. Do not... Be fooled. This guy got absolutely starched round one on the Contender Series against Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who I believe tested positive for pot. Was it pot? Yeah. 
test positive for pot, turned that into a no contest. Fluffy has went on um, to being a fluffer, being very, very mediocre in the UFC. Kevin Holland absolutely laid the smackdown on him um, in in, uh, his last outing. His last outing. This Jordan Wright guy is on a different level. I know it's been a long time since I said this. Jordan Wright is the worst fighter in the UFC. Wow. Ooh, I felt good. It's been wow. there's been so it's many been of these while. dusty cards and stuff. This guy, unless he's made crazy improvements from, I remember when we were watching the, you're just like, oh, ten and no, okay, Beverly Hills Ninja, oh, fight yeah, California. combined oh. record of his opponent. Let's see, and then you look at like his record, you're like, oh, this yeah. isn't shaking out. And they show the little preamble video of like him like hitting mitts or whatever he's doing. I'm like, this guy is horrible. And yeah, 40 seconds, absolutely starts by like very like I mean. Hernandez is not UFC level competition, or at least, you know, is not quality UFC level competition. And like he looked like he had no place being in there against him. So I imagine he trains with somebody who's here this week, just happened to be around. Jorge Gonzalez drops out. They go, Will you fight anybody? And he goes, Yes. So Beverly Hills Ninja is in in the house. Um, Ike Villanueva, I don't uh, watching him on tape leading up to his previous fight, faded him last time out. Not impressed by him either, but anybody against Jordan Wright. Yeah, well, you know what? I couldn't fault you then that Jordan Wright. But I don't know the odds. If it's like minus give... eight hundred, it's just like okay, well, no, we stay away altogether. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I'd like to see a line as well because I'd be tempted. That Jordan Wright, mm-hmm. I'd have to say it. What do you think it's going to be, Cody? Minus 300. Ike Villanueva? No. It'll be minus 235 Ike Villanueva. Which side's the value? Listen, I'm saying right, because you got another 50-50 fight here, and that both guys can't take a great shot. Not only you have, we talked about OSP dropping back down and all this. Ike Villanueva's fought at middleweight. He's fought at light heavyweight. And he's just coming off a fight in the UFC against Chase Sherman at heavyweight. Jeez, mm-hmm. this, is, this is big. Now he's back down to light heavyweight. And uh, Jordan Wright's never fought at light heavyweight. He's a fucking middleweight. So not only do all of those problems that you talked about apply here, it's like he, he's up shit's creek, man. But he's way faster than Ike Villanueva. And he can actually bang. It's whether you touch his chin before he's able to touch yours. He's an absolute can crusher, as Paul alluded to. Literally his run... His first few fights, listen, when you're 0-0, it seems okay to fight guys that are 0-0, but these guys never amounted to anything. They either never fought again, or they just lost a few fights and then retired. 0-0, if you can fucking believe that one. 0-10, 0-0, shit, you know what? Even though I just choked out that 0-0 guy in 1-3-2, I'll fucking rematch his ass. Beat him again, in Alaska of all places. Picks up a quick win over Craig Wilkerson, who had a good-looking record, but... Again, not very good. And then the Anthony Hernandez fight. He's smoked in 40 seconds. Not only that, it's a scary KO, boy. He is out. Out, out, out. This guy's got no upside. There's nothing to it. But then he fights Gabriel Checo in LFA. Middleweight, this is where he should be. And uh, I'm in. He's a career karate guy. That's why he's the Beverly Hills Ninja. He's 28, so he's a year younger than me. I grew up fucking idolizing that movie. Chris Farley. Haru! (laughs) 
it, it was a great movie. There's no doubt about it. He's doing karate. He's a kid. He sees the movie. It's an inspiration to him. Ha ha. The name sticks. And he's just, he's a, a more of a karate guy. As we talked about, about our old buddy, uh, Marcin Pracnio being Kyukushin karate. This guy wants to evade. He wants to stay on the outside. He happens to walk right into a big shot from Fluffy and it knocks him out. But against Checo, he does a better job of, dis of managing the distance and using his kicks. And that's one problem with like Villanueva. He's kind of slow. So he's got a boxing advantage. If he hits Jordan right, probably knocks Jordan right out. He's the bigger man. You got a guy that just fought at heavyweight against a guy that just fought at middleweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stars are aligning that Ike Villanueva is deservedly so the favorite. Probably catches this guy, knocks him out. But here's one problem with Ike. Ike has absolutely zero cardio. Just doesn't happen, right? The guys he's beating on the regional scene, they're all first-round knockouts. In fact, prior to signing with the UFC, his four-fight winning streak, the longest fight in that four-fight winning streak is three minutes, right? Against Chase Sherman, he starts out okay for about two or three minutes. And then it's just a big drop-off. You can blame heavyweight, but he didn't cut any weight for the fight. And it wasn't a grappling match. So, I don't know. And hey, he gasses out a light heavyweight to begin with. I bet Chase Sherman was big up on Chase Sherman. And think about the history I have with Chase Sherman. He's a guy who I used to say was the worst. Right. And Chase I picked Sherman. Him against Ike. If Chase Sherman has any good he's quality. A yeah, but if he has any good qualities, that he's a mobile heavyweight. Yeah. And he looked to be infinitely faster mm -hmm. than Ike Villanueva. Plain and Had simple. Had better cardio, way, infinitely way faster, faster right. hit harder. Jordan everything. Wright is going to be way faster than him. Okay. So when I say it's a battle of who's going to get their shots off first, Wright's going to get his shots off first. Can Ike take them, return fire, knock Wright out? Incredibly possible. But if you're going to, if, if you did cap it at 235, Ike Villanueva, and you gave me a comeback of 165, 175 on Wright. It's a lot of vig. Well, I'm just saying he'd be the money. It'd be, money be, one, it'd be plus one ninety five. If it was minus two thirty five on the other side. Well, and Cody's it, Cody's running a real crooked yeah, book there, taking all the, the vig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying is that the money side would be on right because I got this cap closer to a, oh, a, a shitstorm of a fight that could on. go if, either. If this, let's say it is. Let's even say. Do like we just bet the under in this? Yeah, bet the under. <laughs> if you're gonna. What's bet the under like one and a half rounds? Well, there's no line on the fight. We just oh, got. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Paul's so, running a crooked book over here. Yeah, but Paul's just looking for. I'll, I'll give you. I'm looking for lines that don't bat. Tell me, me tell me the props. Man. Give me the props. But like, man. if you're gonna bet this right guy, you just bet him like first round knockout, don't you? you I don't like know. Double whatever his odds are. I'm gonna let every other people's bankrolls touch Jordan right. Yeah, the, the way that you describe this guy, he doesn't sound like Haru, the white ninja, or his brother <laughs> Liu Kang. He sounds like fucking Chris Rock who's getting the, the lessons from later on. He's not I'll have you know, Chris Rock has a tangerine belt in that movie, okay? So he had a base coming in. And listen, once you train at that level, which by the way, Jordan Wright trains at Greg Jackson's. He's only 28 years old. Like Villanueva is over the hill, pal. Mm. Now, there was a legitimate argument that Jordan Wright never got near the fucking hill. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, same. He's got youth, speed, athleticism. He hits hard. And the yeah. Gabriel Checo fight, coming off a knockout loss, he just fought, fought smart. And I think almost, you know what? Dana's here. Oh, I got a contract. I fought in fucking nobody to this point. And I could get a contract in the UFC. Undefeated. I like when guys lose. Problem is, I like when guys lose and like men in field. He got he got a, he got three no. rounds of of gut check. 
that's a lot of experience. That's a lot to take away. I'm all for that. Fluffy Hernandez. Right. Don't remember. He don't remember anything past the oh shit, staying away because it's all a fucking blur after Mm -hmm. that. He just got absolutely starched out of there. But I I think he took the right approach against Gabriel Checo, who's a BJJ specialist, wants to take him down. He took him down and he played in his guard. So why not go against Ike? Just take him down in the first round. Just hold him down and do nothing in the first round. In the second round, Ike will be tired. And then, then use your karate. Stay on the outside. Get those shots off on him. Take him out. Maybe it does go over one and a half. But I think consensus is under one and a half. And, and, I'm, and leaning, then on draft, I'm leaning towards right, but I want a good dog price. We'll talk about it in a second. But like on DraftKings, this is the degen kind of fight that you end up wanting to have the winner because one of these guys. I mean, Ike Villanueva is 8,200. I imagine Jordan Wright is going to be at like eight thousand or less, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just again, it'll end up being if in GPPs, it's it's that greasy, greasy fight that you end up having a piece of, um, and you hope for the best. It's Uh, six. It's a six fight parlay, right? Okay. Basically, so my last thing I want to throw in, just so I make sure I get all my tidbits out, is that the Chase Sherman versus Ike Villanueva fight. Sherman goes eleven for fifteen with the kicks. He just literally sat back. And just kicked him. And I just let it happen. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that Jordan Wright could could do that. He ain't Chase Sherman. Good Let's leg get kicker. That. Yeah, just, well, he's the karate guy, man. This is what they do. Stay to the outside, kick. Stay to the outside, kick. He moves forward, dance around him. Ike's just too slow. Ike's going to have to cut off the ring and land that big shot. Both possible. Oh, but give me dog price on Wright. I'll I take the dog price. Consider- oh, God. It's a shit card, Paul. you got to pick your spots and just get, get gonna, going, baby. It's I'm gonna greasy. I'm going to have Jordan Wright on a DraftKings lineup this week. What is the world coming to? you play to? multiple lines, you can just make both. the same team twice and just interchange them out because they're going to be around the same price. Just they, they probably the will, yeah. Like, and then these two on two separate teams. Yeah, one right, of, right one of these two idiots. Yeah, make two lineups and split the difference. <laughs> Carlson Minus takes on Matthew. Semmelsberger minus 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 125 Semmelsberger plus 105 what can you tell me about these guys yeah honestly this is the one fight on the card I'll admit I gotta definitely have multiple more looks at it it's, mm-hmm. it's a contender series fight that didn't have a spot on a contender series card and hey geez only nine fights on this card we need to throw something on there Let's throw them on here. I just don't think that either guy's technically really UFC level. Not that that is even a real thing right now, but it's hard to get a good gauge on it. Carlson minus would be my favorite as well. I know he's slight minus 125, so book tends to agree. He's got the better body of work, but he also just seems to be a little bit faster, a little bit crisper, a little more flush with his shots, so to speak. I see this probably being striker versus striker and that he just lands the better shots ever so slightly. When you look at some of the guys he's beaten, he's one of these Alaska FC guys, and I know I've heard all the jokes in the world about Alaska FC. There's some good guys that have legitimately came out of there that go on. They're raw, but they're good talent. They go on beyond that. But you have to fight a better level of competition. This guy does the same thing as everybody else does. He fights that lower level, but he takes a good step up within Alaska. It's fine. Colin Reuter. Colin Reuter's a decent talent. Not a great talent. Decent talent. Uh, mid-level type guy. He's fought in Hawaii. He's fought for various okay organizations. But it's the follow-up fight over Justin Buckles, who is obviously a UFC veteran mm-hmm. and you know was, at the time, one of the coaches at Team Alpha Male. It's a good win over him. Then he gets a PFL shot, right? Because, hey, PFL needs guys for the tournament, million-dollar tournament. Let's bring this guy in. He's 9-0. He has a nice-looking record. He's quick. He's athletic. He's coming over a win over Justin Buckles. Makes sense. And now, as an undefeated prospect leaving Alaska for the first time, you draw Rick Story in, like, a pristine fight on TV. Like, couldn't deal with the wrestling. Couldn't deal with the submissions. Wasn't ready. Very clearly, not ready. Since then, he did pick up a win back in Alaska FC. You can watch it on Fight Pass. 
But it's like it's when he fights high end guys, they got to be washed. Buckles is washed at the time, and he's quicker than them. And, he, and again, I think he's got the better punches. He's a little sharper with his technical boxing. He's a little bit faster. He has a little bit more output. But beyond that, it's just like he's a very unproven commodity that could easily get dragged into this war with this Matthew Selmsberger guy who has fought lesser competition, but with wins over in CFFC, which is a far better organization than Alaskan FC, and also he knocked out Richard Petitionok uh, his last time out. Petitionok, obviously, from World Series of Fighting mm-hmm. fame, beat a couple of Gracies back in the day. It's like, ah, you know what? He's a live dog, too. I mean, he's young enough. He's going to come in here. He's going to throw hands. He's 27, whereas I don't think he has the same output, and I don't think he has the, t- the, the clean technical boxing, is that he has, does have a power advantage. So I do think he'll be able to hit Carlton Minus, or Carlson Minus, but I also think Minus is just going to hit him in return and maybe a few more times, and maybe that's going to be enough to grease out a decision. It's minus 125 plus 105, pretty close, pretty near even. I think, again, the smart move would be to pass. But from what I've seen, which is a limited amount at this point, I had Carlson minus as having a slight technique advantage, a slight competition advantage, and in this short notice situation, I feel like it would prefer him. We have Timur Valiev, and finally, we have Timur Valiev getting his UFC fight, taking on uh, Mark Striegel. Valiev minus 525, Striegel plus 415. Any value to be had here? Yeah, somebody done fucked up. If I'm Valiev, I'm like, how are we before Carlson Minus versus Matthew Selmsberger? Like, that has to be the curtain trigger. Timur Valiev at some point was a somebody, man. He was a world champion. Maybe he's got a fight. He's got to get out of town. He was supposed to be... I'm hoping that the bout order changes at some point because not only do you have Timur Valiev, who's the former World Series of Fighting champion, who was in the PFL tournament, never even lost in the PFL tournament, Dagestani guy... Great striking. Uh, when he, if he does get taken down, just great scrambling. Ability. You know what? It probably is. Prospect. Here's the thing. Yeah, it's probably because because he I think it's a five fight main card. One, two, three, four, five. Right? Five fight main card. One, two, three, four prelims. Just to try to sell you those fight pass. It's a good point. It's the hardcores want to see Timor Valley. Yeah, they want to see point. the World Series of Fighting champion fight in the UFC. They're. I mean. Pat, Pat's never heard of Timur Valiev. He, he switched the show for us where we talked about Timur Valiev. He still doesn't remember where, who Timur Valiev is. Yeah, dude, I, it's, I, I, it's, it's, it's I agree sell, with that. It's to I sell subscriptions. That's I actually think. a really good That's point. That's probably what happened. No, it's here. a good point because not only do you want to see Timur Valiev, if you are if you are a Russian fight fan or you watch World Series of Fighting or you are actually, you know, even hardcore fight fans and know who Valiev is, you'll want to watch it. But if you are a South Asian fight fan, or you're a real hardcore fight fan like myself, you want to see Mark Strigel fight. This guy's been around a long time, man. There's always been the idea that he could compete in the UFC, but the Reese McLaren fight just blew that shit right off the rails. To put things in perspective, he's been fighting pro since 2009. The guy, despite being Filipino descent, is a good wrestler, man, and he's got good grappling. His striking, let's not even talk about that right now. Not very good, but man, he gets you to the ground and he submits you. Problem is when you're fighting Southeast Asian talent, a lot of them just don't have the takedown defense to pose a whole lot of resistance. So Mark the Strangler Strangle just he gets these guys down and he submits them. That's the that's what he does. He takes on the best guys available, but he just blows right through them. He was a massive signing for one FC. One FC, they launch, they hey, we got Strangle. He's a he's a PXC champion, he's a URCC champion. Those are the big organizations in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. It's a no-brainer to bring this guy in. Comes in, wins his first fight, first round submission, looks good, and it's the Reese McLaren fight. So this is why I draw a lot of comparison to the Reese McLaren fight. Reese is not the most talented guy going, Australian guy, but he's wily and he's tricky. He's the Dickie Eklund of the MMA world. He can take a beating, he can rope it up a little bit, and he just kind of stays around, stays around a little too long. 
Strigel kind of has a good start against them. Starts off well against them. But Reese McLaren just hangs around, hangs around. Durable hangs around. Then all of a sudden, Strigel starts getting tired. And uh-oh, you didn't really see this aspect of Strigel's game. He starts getting tired. He starts getting tired. Reese McLaren breaks him down and ends up submitting him at the tail end of the third round. Since then, that fight's at 135 pounds. Since then, he's, cons- he's competed five times. All five of those fights at 145 pounds. He's coming in here making his UFC debut, somewhat of short notice, at 135 pounds. That becomes a problem because if you take Timor value of down, he scrambles and he gets back up. And it wears you out and it tires you out. Mm-hmm. And he always moves forward. And he's a pressure fighter. And once Strigel's game plan of taking him down and holding him down does not work, he's just going to be taking some open shots from Valiev in the open space up against the cage. Valiev probably just hustles him up. 525 is a really bad price tag only because... Strigel just falls on this guy's back, puts a body triangle, wins the first round. You know, second round. We've seen, we seen similar with uh, Cody Durden, right, against Chris Gutierrez. Funny I bring that up because Chris Gutierrez had pulled off that massive upset once upon a time in Valiev. But Cody Durden is just like, dude, he just fucking ended up on his back with a body triangle. Held him. Got a 10-8 first round. Lost the second. Lost the third. Part of me didn't give a shit because I got a push. Part of me did give a shit because I had Gutierrez by decision. And that's not a push. Because you bet him specifically by decision, and it was a draw, you fucking lose. Yeah. So, pissed off. But that's kind of what happens in MMA when you give up these grappling advantages. Valiev, Dag's Danny fighter, not a wrestler, right? He grew up throwing hands, throwing kicks, stri- learning the striking arts. Those guys learn to absolutely just maul you from a ground position. But training at that level, training with those guys, training with elite-level fighters. I believe he also just spends time with Frank Yeager on the card, headlining it. He's going to be in good shape. He's going to be ready to go. And and Strigel, as much as Strigel once upon a time was a prospect, he's 32 years old now. I, I just He hasn't fought anybody to the level of UFC competition. It's technically, his last fight is over a UFC veteran. 32, 22, 11. One of those Shiminju, Shimizu, who was used on a Japanese card once upon a time. But... You know, and it's a no contest due to low blows. And that, that's a year and a half ago. What was the name there? Shunichi Shimizu. Okay. And if I'll... I thought you just made something up. No, fuck no. You don't it. remember him? You fought in the UFC. You fought, I want to say... Barely. Buddy from uh, the Northern Ireland. No, Either, okay, sorry, sorry. Sorry, I got you off track. He, he, had, he had one fight in the UFC, UFC Fight Night 34, back in 2014. So weird I don't remember that. Against uh, Mr. Perfect, Kung Ho Kang. Everybody likes Mr. Perfect. Where is yeah, Mr. He, uh, I guess he's probably... Wow, he doesn't fight that often. At home. When he does fight, though, a guy can fight. And then, yeah, he's fighting a pile of good guys. He just loses, right? It is what it is. Since he, since that low blow, right? He's actually... <laughs> he beat Ashcan Monktarian. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can take a lot away from that. He was 32, 22, and 11, and he beat your boy, Ashcan. And then he dropped his next four fights after that. But the the, the point is is that he's fought five Trash times. Trashcan's in jail for selling Molly, I think. Is that him or his brother? I think it was Trashcan. Mm. Well, tough times. I'm saying is that Strangle just doesn't compete enough. He doesn't compete as a high level enough. And I honestly do think him coming back down to 135 will be his unraveling. Probably has a good first round, and outside of that loses. So, as we talked about in the main event... I think you you look at betting value of on a live on a live bet standpoint. You bet him beforehand. Well, you, five, think, you think Strigel comes out hot? Out. I think I think yeah. Well, okay, that's comes his, out hot. Yeah, Valley. Have you get a better price than minus five hundred? Strigel wants to grapple. He doesn't want to stand and bang with him. He's worked a lot on his striking, but you don't want to stand and bang with Valley, who's a constant pressure fighter, right? Mm-hmm. So at some point, he's going to look to get the fight to the ground. If he goes out that in the first round, he shoots it and he gets stuffed. He's pretty much done. If he goes out there and he gets the takedown, holds him down, maybe he grapples him, maybe he holds on to him and wins the first round. Now people are going to be like, uh-oh, value's not that great of a grappler. He just lost the first round. Now you get a much better price. And then what happens is 
Strickland's going to get tired. I honestly think the Reese McLaren fight, once upon a time, you can say, oh, gee, it's three, four years ago. That was him in his prime. He's not in his prime anymore. I always it's love not... it when you say, like, oh, the guy's 32 years old. I know, over the hill, I know, dust. I know, I know. I know what you're as, saying. As a this guy is... who's older than that, I'm always like, oh, I wonder what Cody thinks about me. This is why This is why I say things like that, right? Because there was a time, Mark Streigel, he beat Kekara France, right? Mm-hmm. Kekara France is 21 years old, and this kid's 26, right? Now you see Kaikara France compete 10 times since then. Yeah, still struggle with and his ma- grappling. You're right. Wow, exactly. That's how struggle beat him. But you make improvements. You compete. You get better. Now you're a legitimate prospect in the UFC. He just... I think when you're okay with being the big fish in a small pond, which is what he has been for a long time, he has such a significant grappling advantage over a lot of the guys he fights, he doesn't get himself like into Bibiano. trouble. like Bibiano. When Bibiano was at 1FC, it's just like, yeah, he dominated a bunch of guys. But if he came over to the UFC and took on the He'd top be fucked. of He really the, would be. He yeah. would be. I remember he certain guys it. that we used to work with would be like, Bibiano, Bibiano's the best bantamweight still, in the world. I still hear, hear people say that. They're like, dude. Look yes. at his win streak. It's like, have you one? No he's idea? actually like, I don't. He would be so much smaller than the other 135. He's real pounders. strong and he's good. He's very though. strong. His cardio's shot. He's 40. He's 125 now. pounder in terms yeah, of his he's frame. A small guy. I mean, yeah, all the top Fucking guys. Fucking legend. Let's give him that. I mean, Sterling would dance circles around him. Um, Sandhagen would absolutely smack him around. Oh, he like, wouldn't last a round and a half with Peter Jan. No he way. He doesn't have the power to knock out Garbrandt. Like, Garbrandt would spunk him. Is Timor going to win by decision or, like, finish him? He, I think he says that like, Striegel gets really, really tired. He's worried about the, yeah, the yeah. late finish. I, I would, the late finish, if you want Timor. Round three? Plus 225 just by TKO, KO, DQ, or submission. I like it. The only one thing that would throw a potential wrench in that is you've got a guy in Valiev who's a striker, wants to wants to hit you, wants to knock you out. Stragel's done this. I, we talked about the Reese McLaren fight, but he's got two pro losses. Both of them are by submission. The one with McLaren was 333 into the third round. The other one was four minutes and 13 seconds into the third round. Both times he gave up the submission with a minute and a half or a minute left. Because he was tired. Valley of round three, what's that? If he gets tired in the third round and Valiev's not trying to submit Valley him, Valiev's just hitting him. One. 14 to one. Holy shit. I mean, those round three props are always like that. Well, you know what? That's where, that's the, where, that's the, that's where the sniff at the very least. Just a little taste. Uh, yeah. Parlay it's round little... three, Timor with my girl, <laughs> now we're uh, Dobson. Parlays. Boom. You, get you after like it. Get after it, bud. <laughs> with Dob- yeah, with Dobson round one. One one thing before we get into DK and we talk Pat about... Pat is going to be on a yacht if that comes to Yeah, Holy shit, would you ever? Is that it, it is crazy to think, 10 fight card, the Austin Hubbard pick... Was like our favorite... Austin Hubbard feel, is our favorite bet of the week. Doesn't that feel That's a nuts. lot better than Timor Valley, who's minus 525? Yeah, I feel in the wave of... I don't know what he's going to be. You don't want no part of Carlson minus... The Inoue fight, I do feel like I'm going to get trapped in there. Daniel Rodriguez, 185. It's like, this is going to be a banger. Agapov is not even bettable. Mike Rodriguez, 235. Come on, man. Don't even disrespect that. that that's that's just a whack price. Let's be real. Menafield, obviously, and Prue. We're not even on the same side of that one because it's a greasy ass fight. Bet OSP it's a greasy ass fight. Either, though, and, then, I, and then your Frankie Eggers, a plus I would prefer, honestly, if I'm really going to think about it, I would prefer to card. watch. I would, I would prefer if I was going to bet OSP, I would wait until first round. Make sure that make sure that we don't get flatlined. Sounds um, like a good week to do something else on he, Saturday night. 
I mean, I'm actually gonna uh, be away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I have I have not liked cards in the past, and shit just fell into place, right? And I'm hoping that's what the, it is because like, it's re- this if, is real low level. If I'm close to a computer, but I'm gonna be at like a friend's cottage, so it it I, I may actually end up just watching these on Sunday when I get home. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's fun. Straight um, up, straight right. up. Timor Valia versus Stragle would make a Bellator main card. Carlson minus versus Matthew Smellsberger, it wouldn't. Ike Villanueva versus Jordan Wright, it wouldn't. Joseph Lecky versus Austin Hubbard, it wouldn't. Mizuki Inoue versus Amanda Lemos, it would because they love promoting women fights, and this is a really good fight, by the way. Daniel Rodriguez versus Takashi Sato, have to be a shitty Bellator card. Marina Agapova. That is a Shane Bell- like that's a that's a Bellator prospect fight right there. If I've ever seen one, Agapova versus Dodson. Yeah, that and it actually seems like a Bellator matchmaking do mm-hmm. where it's just like throw the warm body. It's just <laughs> like she has a name, damn it. Mike Rodriguez versus Marcin Pragnia. Pragnia's 0-2 in the UFC. Mike Rodriguez just got knocked down in 40 seconds. Lonzo Menafield versus OSP. Yeah, for sure. People want to see that fight. I get it. Muniz versus Frankie. All the respect in the world. Great fight. Great athletes. Top-notch guys. Is Frankie a little over the hill? He's got a lot to prove on Saturday. But uh, what I'm saying is this card wouldn't even be, like, <laughs> great by Bellator standards. And then with DraftKings, too, it uh, makes it even more difficult with 10 trying to differentiate yourself from the rest of the competition. Yeah, and Pat. something's going to fall off yeah, before be, this happens. Yeah, what what DraftKings questions Guaranteed. do you have this Guaranteed. week? Well, the only thing I want to point out, so, like, based on what you guys have said and what I've kind of circled on my page here, it seems like Agapova at 93 just play her. Yeah. Uh, and from, like, the odds versus the pricing, it does seem like this Matthew Schlemischberger is mm-hmm. like the best like odds value on the board. Like he's it does. Plus, he's like even money and he's seventy seven hundred bucks. I think that opened at like minus or like plus one thirty too. Money's been coming in on Semmelsberger. Maybe people are wise to things, but we've seen it's I a fifty fifty fight. So why would you not many to take people, the dog? I don't even think it would be like that many. I don't think there's much action whatsoever coming in on that fight. So maybe like one tout service puts out Semmelsberger as a pick and the amount of people who pile onto it, they're like, oh, wait a second. We're only taking action on one side here. So, yeah, this is kind of strange. So, yeah, that, that actually kind of happened. It, when it opened, it was plus 255. Oh, that, that's a crazy, yeah. Crazy. Uh, so, it was a soft was, opener. And it was plus 200 for, like, two days. Yeah. And then it dropped to plus 130, and, and now it's even money. Yeah, I saw a plus like 130, 140 or something earlier in the week, and I was just like, who are I'd these hit guys? A, I'd hit a hard pass on this one, but I, <laughs> yeah, I, but I do, so but I do have minus on the PLP. massive steam coming in on Sam Moltzberger for whatever reason. Um, yeah, on, yeah, DraftKings, I mean, Agapova, I'll end up playing her. I'm either. It's, this Hubbard guy doesn't sound like he's going to score anything. No, it's, he's it, not it exactly like a DraftKings scorer. Like, if this Hubbard guy actually like sucks which would be against what you guys said, it sounds like this guy that he's fighting just gets a ton of takedowns if he, like, does everything right. Yeah. Well, again, the guys the guys that have been taking Hubbard down are elite-level wrestlers, wrestlers, and Joe Selecki is not. So it's entirely possible that he... And, and again, watch his last two fights. He's not shooting single legs. He's not, not shooting double legs. <laughs> right. I guess I'm talking to the fans. If, if, if you're not sold on it, is that he catches kicks and just pushes you forward, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's on top. Once he's on top, he's a slick grappler. He's a BJJ black belt. He's been training for, I think he's 26. He said he started when he was six years old. He's been training BJJ 20 years. Guy's got some skills. But the wrestling required to get Hubbard down, and by the way, holy fuck, he's been training BJJ for 20 years, and he's a black belt? Hubbard's already dealt with that twice. So that shouldn't be an issue. It's it's that Selecki's game plan will be slow the fight down. The takedowns slow the fight down. The clinch slows the fight down. Hubbard 
not really throwing a ton of punches anyways, it's going to slow the fight down. So when you look at Hubbard at a price tag $7,800, he really does need that third-round finish. Because yeah. even if he just wins the decision, he'd probably be floating around 70 points. Like It wouldn't be even up to the 7800 you're paying for him. If you're out looking for an outright winner, I think you look for, for there. But as far as DraftKings goes, yeah, you're going to have to take some chances on it for sure. I think as, if you're looking at the high end, uh, Agapova at 9300 as Paul mentioned, Valiev, I don't know. Him at 9100 I think he's a little bit overpriced. I'd let some other people play him, and I would look to, to move on. Pedro Munoz, he's definitely live because he just throws caution to the win. The leg kicks are significant strikes. Lots of volume. So even if he's coming High up score. short on his punches, yeah, exactly. And he's not going to get Frankie down with the takedowns, but if Frankie, for whatever reason, mixes up the wrestling, and, and, and I talked about that's Frankie's a good path for him. Maybe Frankie's durability's gone. Maybe the durability's gone. That has gone, to be factored And he has five in. rounds to work with. He hit Al Jermaine over 100 significant strikes. In a three-round fight. Mm-hmm. This guy can throw. Definitely so you get throw. up over 150 significant strikes. Then you're doing, what, you have 75 points right there plus the decision or over 100 points. So as so far good. as a 9,000, and when, when, when we get to Frankie, Frankie's good play as well. But as far as the high-end guys go, yeah, yeah. Munoz has very high Munoz upside. will be a lot. I feel, I don't know. I don't have a real pulse on the scene right now. But I figure Munoz will probably be super, super high-owned. I, I would... Wonder how many people are gonna click on uh, Frankie Edgar this week. Now you're gonna Frankie want. Edgar might be the only person. Like he's the only name on this card I recognize. Because <laughs> <laughs> casual, casual underdog, uh, casual. The casual underdog click will be Frankie Edgar. Probably it's the only name they recognize. That's actually a good point, Pat. Um, yeah. It's tough. I, I want. I, I'm gonna have in DraftKings. I'm gonna be targeting Menafield or St. Prue. Um. I feel like the uh, Menafield, if he gets the first round knockout, you're going to need him. OSP could win this fight, and you don't get, and he doesn't end up on any sort of optimal. Then you have Rodriguez versus Pratio. Um, That's another interesting one. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to play Austin Hubbard on DraftKings. I think I'm going to just have a straight bet on him. I want the winner of Ike Villanueva versus Jordan Wright. God help me. Um, on on that one, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. What I'm looking at is it's I a, need Jordan Wright. I need Jordan Wright to be sixty nine hundred bucks. Very nice. <laughs> and I'm fucking rolling, baby. Yeah, you're just gonna have a lot of people that are. Uh, it's hard to go six for six when you have that many landmines. It's a mm-hmm. landmine. But yeah, as far as some of the people that I'd be targeting at the top, we talked about Agapova. Um, Menafield's got high upside. Pedro Munoz's got high upside. Rodriguez Daniel Rodriguez has got volume. high upside. Yeah. Uh, looking elsewhere on the card, your punts. I'm not a huge punt guy, but if you're looking for a punt, then Frankie Edgar at $7,200. If he's going to go five rounds, he's going to get takedowns, he's going to get strikes. He ends up winning this fight. He ends up catching him. $7,200 is a great price tag on him. Marcin Pracnio, $7,300. His only path to victory is just nail something on Mike Rodriguez. Yeah. Which has 73. Oh, that right, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's all good. 89, 73, I guess. Whatever. Well, yeah. 73. Yeah. Anyways, doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that he's, he's, he's going to have, if he does win, he's looking to get himself a first round knockout. He could go. Takashi Sato, $7,500. Geez, when the guy does win, they're all first-round knockouts. Do I think he knocks out Rodriguez personally? No. But the ways Takashi Sato wins fights, it's going to be a big DK, DK play. Lemos, $7,600. Not a bad play. This Melzenberger guy, all the money coming in on him, like Pat said, value is definitely there. And then outside of that, yeah, OSP, because he could submit him late. And, uh, and then it, it falls off pretty rapidly. I think this card, because it's so volatile, everybody has got a good shot. Pedro could score big. Frankie could score big. Okay, that's bump. Alonzo, geez, he could knock him out. Sam Prue could, could submit him later. Okay, they could both score big. 
Rodriguez could knock him out in the first round. Pragno could knock him out in the first round. They could both score big. Agapova could knock her in the first round. Shayna Dobson cannot score big. Uh, Rodriguez Rodriguez can out. land over 100. Uh, I just now have a 500 to 1 bet, so I'm good to go. <laughs> Rodriguez landed over 170 significant strikes his last time out. He could be a massive score. Takashi Sato was a first-round knockout machine. He's a, he could be a high-round score. Mazika Inoue just goes and goes and goes. Could be a high-round score. Mendelemos could be on the juice. Could be a high-round score. Selecki, BJJ Black Belt, all the wrestling. Well, like, takedowns, takedowns, takedowns. Is she married takedowns. to Giacomo Lamas, who was supposed to fight in the UFC and then uh, failed be. a drug test and never fought in the UFC? Could be. Could be for sure. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. But I remember, he was supposed to fight Tanner Bozer. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he tested positive before he even fought. That was the end of him. Bozer you see won. a couple of guys, they resurface later on, but he'd be like uh, Geronimo DeSantos, if you remember him. Giant Brazilian badass. Go wiki a picture of him. You'll shit your pants. I don't even know how he's going to make 265, man. He's pretty much the most jacked guy you've ever seen in your life. Man, he got hep C in the pre-fight test. They never let him fight again in the UFC, but he's fought like 20 times outside of the UFC. Uh, don't fight Geronimo de Santos because he either knocks you out really quick or gives you hep C. It's a fucking lose-lose, man. Doesn't sound like a good time. Moving on to the PRP really quick. I'm going to go with Pedro Munoz. Again, I don't like the value, and I want to live bet that one to try to get better value on it because I can't write Frankie off. Legendary status just maybe doesn't got one left in the tank. We're going to go Menifield. Hard to feel good about that. We're taking Mike Rodriguez. Hard to feel about that. I want Mike Rodriguez by knockout specifically. Menifield, it could be a decision, so I'll just take that one straight up. Agapova, you want her by finish. Knockout, submission. They're both plus money. Have a look at that. Daniel Rodriguez, I got him winning 185. Mizuka Inoue. That's my girl. Going to roll with here. 140 seems like the price is off, and for that reason, maybe I'm buying too much into it, but is what it is. Austin Hubbard, he's officially going to be dog number one. Jordan Wright, we don't know what the price is on it. Probably going to be the I'm hoping it's going to be a good price tag, and if the price is right on Jordan Wright, then how could you be wrong? Oh, God. Carlson minus versus Matthew Selmsberger, that, that's a fat pass. But I, again, will definitely keep looking into it and just research as much into these guys and, and figure out the story. And then value is 525. It's not a good price tag. It's not the price tag you want. But he, he is one of the favorites on the card. He has the tag of one of the safer picks on the card. And not only do I think I'll have some value, some shares of him leading up to the fight, it's another one that I'm going to look to maybe get a better price tag after the first round if Strigel comes out well. And if Strigel comes out and looks fucking awesome then hedge out. I, I don't know. It's just struggle. It's hard to get a good read on him, and this is a bad matchup for him. So the layoff's going to kill him. The competition's going to kill him. Valiev gets the win. So we effectively got two underdogs, Hubbard and Wright. How could yeah. you feel great about that, Paul? It's, uh... I got a question. It's not smooth sailing through this one this week. Sorry if, uh... Sorry if it's like, hey, what do I do? It's like, we're kind of still looking at the board going, hey, what do I do? Yeah, and I got a feeling they're either going to add something or subtract something that's going to fall off. Or, like, three like, of these people are, are going to turn ill because we're in Vegas and COVID is is very much around. Hubbard um, versus Selecki was already scheduled once. Selecki pulled out, which is the reason Max Roshkop took the fight on 10 days' notice because mm-hmm. Selecki bailed. Alvin St. Bruce got to cut 36 pounds. Marcin Pragnia hasn't fought in two years. Shane Dobson's going to Google Agapova's name at some point. <laughs> there could be a lot of people bailing out. Mark Strago, fuck, you know, he's wishy-washy at times. He's bailed out of a lot of fights with injuries. So, yeah, everything's everything's real smooth. Jordan Wright, I stole a Nueva. Based on that, Something's falling with off. all these, like, weird props that are out there, right? So you said that, like, most of these fights, like, the dog's path to winning some of these fights is just going to be, like, first-round knockout. What if you took, like, six of them and bet by decision, or, sorry, not by decision, by knockout, or inside the distance, 
and played like a three-way round robin with them. Like if you won one of those three, like you won three of the six, you're probably going to either break even or be up a little bit. You win four of the six, you're up a bunch of money. Right, right. So that's what Caveman Sam does. He's got his spreadsheets laid out. He's got his little computer, and he just enters in all the stats. Like he'll enter in the guys from money came in them, how much money came in, how often does money coming in, at, how much money, like let's say it's X amount of money comes in one week before the fight. How many times is the guy that X amount of money came in before the fight? Like it's all spread out. And then as a result, you end up betting six dogs that you don't think are going to win under the pretense of value. That's fine. I'm sure there's a way to make money there. I don't like betting on somebody yeah, I don't, I don't think either. is going to win. It's just not who I am. And as much as I can say, there's value on them. There's value on them. The, the only time I'll do that is it's Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz. It's the end of the night, and I put a few bucks on Frankie just for the fuck of it. Let's say that was the case. I don't like betting guys I think are going to lose on the pretense of, well, the price is bad on the favorite. I'd mm-hmm. rather just pass on it. That's what historically is worth. Yeah. I, a dog I, or pass, just the dog like, has oh, to have a path to victory. I think he wins like two out of ten times. It's just like, well. Right. So you I know, think I, the, the Jordan, odds would indicate that it's a good play, but it's just like my heart tells me that that I don't want to bet the, a person I think is going to lose. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly what it comes. And it, where that burnt me last week, it also has helped me in a point, right? I thought John Dodson had keys to beat Marab, and right before I went to bed, I was like, in my heart of hearts, I don't think Marab loses. I just can't do it. But I, I want to bet Vera over O'Malley. We talked about it on the show, and the price was fucking off, and the value side was Marlon Vera, and I really thought I was going to go to decision. Fucking broken ankle. Regardless, I went to go bet it, and I pussed out for the same reason. I was like, in my heart of hearts, I think O'Malley's just going to hang it on the inside. Vera's not going to throw a ton. As the first round was progressing, Vera wasn't really throwing a ton, but uh, that's just who he is, part of the game plan. It's what he We want a live bet. Remember we talked about that was another live bet spot. Live bet, Vera after the first round, yeah, when he drops there. the first round. Had O'Malley not broken his ankle, Vera would have lost that first round, and you would have got a killer price nah, on him. the odds had really, the odds had really shifted there. When I was, I was monitoring it. Oh. Um, like, like, by the time, by the time, like, they, they, they reacted quick. Well, what did it go off as? Like, when his foot was, when he was, like, kicking well, off yeah, on his foot. yeah, because he broke his ankle. No, I know, but, like, they reacted really fast. There was hardly a window to jump in on that. No, I'm saying you couldn't You couldn't live bet that one. I'm saying, let's say O'Malley doesn't break his ankle in the first round, right? It's just Did a clean... Did he break his ankle? Did you not watch the replay? It looked like a... I, I don't know. I mean, know. this I is what the guy did that know, other time, man. and there was nothing wrong with doctor? his ankle. Do I look like a doctor? He Against Sukumatab, he did boo-boo. the same thing. Nothing actually broke, and he was unable to... I don't know. He just has weak ankles. He's got weak ankles. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to get on a strength and conditioning program. Yeah, he, he, oh, wait. He already he tested positive twice. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? He needs to get Steph Curry's training. Yeah. All right. I think we're, uh, I think that's, we've said all we can. Oh, yeah. This. Subscribe to the Mayo Media Network. Yes. Link is in the description. I was going to say, sub now so that two, three weeks from now when it starts popping up there, you're already ahead of the curve. If it's not here on the DraftKings YouTube channel, it'll be on the Mayo New Media Network channel, which you're already subbed to. So when I get 150, where's the pod? Why is the pod not out? You weren't listening. Not listening. And I'm taking notes. Ooh. I'm not actually taking notes. Anyway, thank you to Cody Safdick breaking down the fights with me as always. Thank you to Pat behind the scenes for all the props and questions and keeping us in line. For Cody and Pat, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Have your experience! Experience!